fly, you see. There may be a way for you to get to the UK without having to fly. A new Max original film by Academy Award-winning director Steven Soderbergh. Here's to reconnecting the gang of three we used to be. Did she always talk like that? Meryl Streep, Candace Bergen, Gemma Chan, Lucas Hedges, and Diane Weist. Whatever character I write about is essentially about me. Who is the real you? Let them all talk. Streaming December 10th on HBO Max. Rated R. Good morning. It is... 13 days until the end of 2020, otherwise known as Saturday, December 19th. And you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail. And I'm Michael Haney, a deputy editor here at Airmail. Welcome to the show. What is it 13 or 12 days? I'm Michael, bad at math. Okay, don't ask me to do math. Nathan already asked me the difference between horizontal and vertical this morning, and I was not able to answer him. Okay, like, it's not my thing, and I'm cool with that. Who's that? Sorry, that was uh, Cecily. I think like we're all feeling the same way, sort of howling at the moon, waiting for 2022 end and for school. Oh. To <laughs> Michael, we have quite an exciting issue of airmail this week. We-, we should start with John Le Carre, don't you think? Oh, a thousand percent. Look, we could talk about the COVID vaccines. We could talk about the Russians hacking into our very soul. But let's really start with the important news, which is the passing of John Le Carre. What strikes me, and I'm a huge Le Carre fan, is we live in a world that like, you can't imagine it without Le Carre giving you the vocabulary and the, and, the, and the imagery for it. I mean, he literally created vocabulary, uh, so much so that words he, he rolled into his, his books like mole and honey trap and the circus were words that MI6 and MI5 and the CIA didn't even use, but he sort of invented them. But... Yeah, he died this week. Fantastic writer, unbelievable impact on the culture. I mean, what's amazing to me is like, as I said, like, you know, you, you sort of forget his his influence, but like we live in a world, like, everything we watch in, in the culture, pop culture wise, like from Homeland to the Americans to even this new Israeli show I'm watching on Apple TV, Tehran, everything is about this spy craft and this world of agents and duplicity and, 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 and countries trying to go against each other. He invented all that, really. You know, and, and to me, what's amazing is Spyro came in from the cold, comes out in 1963. Prior to that, there was not this cynicism in statecraft and spycraft, and it was still sort of this post-World War II wor- world. But yet, you know, 63, the same year that Kennedy is killed— this book comes out about the the, the 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 Cold War divide in Germany, and it's sort of like in in it shifts how we see uh, uh, countries and politics and and the ambitions of states and, and diplomacy, and um, he brings this kind of cynicism to it all, but also this takes us inside and makes these characters very human and noble. They are no longer these sort of globe trotting, infallible men. Now they're. They're they're very fallible human beings. Yes, great point. He's he's the anti bond, Michael. He is the anti bond. Exactly, perfect. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And he knew the difference between verticality and height. <laughs> Thank God someone does. Do you have a favorite Le Carre film adaptation? You know, yeah, I do, Michael. What is it? Constant Gardener. Boom. With Ray Fiennes, right? Obviously, and Rachel Weisz. Done. Yeah. 
That's one of my top three. You know, one of my second all-time favorites? Tell me. Have you ever seen The Most Wanted Man? Who hasn't, Michael? Of course. A lot of people haven't. Really? Anton Corbin directed it. It looks beautiful, but it's got Philip Seymour Hoffman, one of his last performances, right? Unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. You know, last week we had started off the Louis Malle Film Fest. This week, go see all of the John Le Carre adaptations. It's a great way to spend the holiday. Nothing else to do, like no parties. Yay. If you haven't read his memoir, which came out a few years ago called The Pigeon Tunnel, can't recommend it enough. You know, it's a guy who sort of, his own background was unbelievable. And he thought for, you know, most of his life, he had, of course, invented his own nom de plume. And uh, sort of this is the, 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 in this memoir, he kind of reveals a lot about his own background, which was murky and he never really acknowledged, but, you know, a lot of his inspiration in his books was about rogues and tricksters. Uh, and yet you learn in his memoir that he, his father, Ronnie, was this kind of charming, feckless con man, as we write in this week's issue of Airmail in a piece by Ben McIntyre, and uh, who lost several fortunes, was in prison for fraud, and Le Carre growing up had this man in his life who also beat him, his mother walked out on him, and as Le Carre writes in the memoirs, says, people who have had an unhappy childhood are pretty good at inventing themselves. So it's a terrific memoir. Can't urge you to read it enough because it's also about the writer's life and, and how he sort of came to create this world, as I said, that kind of all from the Americans to Homeland to Tehran, we live in it now. And as even Graham Greene said, Spy Who Came In From The Cold, greatest spy book Ever. Michael, I, I've learned a lot this week about Tina Turner, okay? Things I didn't know. One, she's Buddhist. Two, she lives in Switzerland. Three, she has written a new self-help book. It is called Happiness Becomes You, A Guide to Changing Your Life for Good, and we should all read this. And she's got a great piece in airmail this week. It, it's kind of an, it's a collage of lessons learned. She talks about um, what's love got to do with it and, you know, asking us if we could even imagine her career without it. It was her biggest hit and a really transformational song, but she says it was one of the songs I didn't like when I first heard it, um, which I wonder why that was. She doesn't go into why, but um, what's not to love about that song? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Oh, God. Are you <laughs> going to sing for us? Should I start? It's either that or Christmas carols. What do you want me to say? Michael, you know what? You know what? One of my favorite things about Tina Turner. Tell me. Her incredible talent. Yes. Her wonderful personality. Her sense of wisdom and knowledge. Yes. But also those legs. Like, does she have the best legs on the planet? Can you answer that question? Maybe not. Okay. Well, I'm going to say it. I think she has the best legs on the planet. She's the person who inspired me to wear mini skirts. I'm still doing it. Thank you, Tina. I love her style and her look and she's such a force and she's been in culture for so long that we think we know her and guess what? We don't know that much about her at all. So it's a, this book is a great reason to sort of delve in. Yeah. Well, if you want to see those legs, you know, and you're uh, of a certain age and maybe just uh, Google the YouTube machine, her singing Proud Mary and uh, doing that famous kind of move, moves uh, on that. You'll see that with, with the, uh, but you know, as I said, I also still like her and remember her for the Live Aid appearance in 1985 with Mick Jagger. It's a little hokey, I know, it was, it was, but uh, it was cool to see that moment. And actually, you know, I'm, I'm still getting over a few weeks ago, I asked where you were in 1980 when John Lennon died. And you said, I think I was in utero. So I'm reluctant to bring up 80s memories now, but... Yeah, 
you're aging yourself, Michael. We've got Gen Zers listening to this podcast, okay? Just keep that in mind. These guys were born during the Clinton administration, okay? You know what? ARP cards are the new, I don't know, dating app. I don't know. but ARP cards are the new platinum cards. Michael, we also have our gift guide in airmail, and I have to tell you, I'm going insane on Christmas this year. You are? What are you getting me? Well, that's a surprise, my friend. Here's a dirty little secret that I have. Generally, Christmas is one of my least favorite holidays, and it's not because I don't love the magic and spirit and all of that, but I get easily overwhelmed by merch. And on Christmas, I have two kids, the presents, the toys, the wrapping, the chaos, the excitement levels, like it's all just too much for me. Like I prefer Christmas Eve, more civilized. There's usually mold wine involved. That's my jam. But this year, you know what? I have nothing else to do except for sit at home and shop from my favorite small boutiques online. Um, and I'm having a great time picking out really special things this year. We have a lot of those choices in airmail in our gift guides, but um, it's been a really fun, you know, look, I generally, I try to do like a minimal Christmas and this year I'm doing minimal in terms of the number of gifts, but maximum in terms of the effort that I'm putting into them. That's nice. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, this is my thought. Like I'm, I'm getting dressed up this year, even if I'm just going to be celebrating at home, there are no parties, but I've got to ca- capture the joy in some capacity. So I've been watching a lot of Christmas movies like my favorite Four Christmases with Reese Witherspoon and Vince Vaughn. It's a classic. The Family Stone is another good one. Love the Family Stone. But, you know, someone pointed out to me that's technically a Thanksgiving movie. Whatever. It's holiday film. Holiday film. Are you going to get dressed up for Christmas? Yeah, I bought a new Saloni dress, actually. And it's an airmail. You can find it. I had to uh, recommend it in our style mm-hmm. carousel. Yeah, it's velvet. It's got these crystal bows. It reminds me of... Have you ever seen the film version of The Dead? Yes, with uh, Angelica Houston. For some reason, this dress reminds me of Angelica, of that Christmas party in the dead, even though it probably has nothing to do with one another, but um, it conjured up that for me, so I bought it. That, but now you understand my, my shopping psyche, Michael. Well, Michael, I do have something really important to discuss with you. Tell me. Le voila. It's called Room 2806, The Accusation. This is a new docuseries out on Netflix, and it follows the 2011 sexual assault case involving French politician Dominique Strauss-Kahn at the height of his career. Have you seen this yet, Michael? I have not. So I started watching it last night with my husband who lived in France, you know, in the early aughts, if you will. And he was, you know, giving me the side eye and not seeming very excited about this, thinking it was just another tabloidy show like the one I had been watching previously, which is, yes, the new Alexa Chung and Tan France fashion competition, which you can probably skip that. But you cannot skip this show. It is fascinating. I thought I knew this story and it turns out I didn't know it at all. And I left feeling like Strauss-Kahn was kind of set up by Sarkozy. Yeah, it, it makes a it makes a pretty compelling case that he was set up by Sarkozy, who was his political rival. You know, this was, it, you know, I forgot that he was, um, you know, that he was polling so well in in terms of the 2012 presidential election, right? And Sarkozy realized that he was going to be a serious contender, and so in sort of a brilliant move, he installed him at the IMF. Fun fact, after the Bretton Woods Agreement in 1944, it was established that the World Bank would always be run by an American and the IMF would always be run by a European. My husband just trotted this out in the middle of the show and I, it just reminded me like, wow, I'm glad I married this guy. He's just kind of smart. <laughs> like, who knows that, right? David, anyway, love you, honey. Um, anyway, so he, he whisks him off to this job in D.C., 
And, you know, where he, he has a certain amount of power and a certain amount of um, je ne sais quoi and mystique, but he's no longer like boots on the ground in France uh, campaigning, if you will. And he was polling at 60% leading up to this election. And so the documentary goes ahead and makes a compelling case, uh, you know, of a story of how uh, Sarkozy was trying to rid himself of a formidable rival. Morning Meeting is brought to you this week by HBO Max. Michael, are you going anywhere over the holidays? Yes. You are? Where? I'm going to my couch to watch a very good movie. Like Let Them All Talk on HBO Max? Exactly. Let Them All Talk is the new original film from Steven Soderbergh, the director behind Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Ocean's Eleven, Aaron Brockovich, and many other great movies. And now he's got Meryl Streep, Candace Bergen, and Diane Wiest in Let Them All Talk, an original comedy drama where Streep plays a writer who reunites with her two friends. I can't wait. That's two of us. If it's Soderbergh and if it's HBO Max, I'm in. Let Them All Talk, streaming now on HBO Max. All right. Well, Michael, we're fortunate today. We have an airmail all-star on the program, Stu Heritage, pen name Stuart Heritage. He's one of our most fabulous contributors who's written for us on all sorts of topics. He's made something of a cottage industry reporting on Harry and Meghan for us. So Stu, welcome to Morning Meeting. Pleasure. This is my favorite, uh, officially my favorite podcast. The Spotify end of year thing, it said this, this is the podcast I've listened most to of all the podcasts in the world. So uh, this is a big thrill for me. Michael, we're big in Kent. <laughs> We're big in Kent. And let's just go right to the heart of the matter then, because we have a Venn diagram of podcast and the world you cover and the news this week that Harry and Meghan are going to start a podcast now, right? Or a podcast empire, yes? It sounds like an empire, yes. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a one-off thing. It sounds like it's a a full-blown... I feel quite bad in a way, because it's a podcast, and they used to be in the royal family, and now they've got a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like a bit of a fall from grace, but if, you know, if they're happy, that's fine. Is it playing as a fall from grace in the UK? I mean, what is the perspective over there that, I mean, I've been seeing people saying it's like, you know, it's everything from uh, them sort of trying to be like Michelle and Barack and and sort of start this little uh, media empire to, you know, it's sort of like lost millennials. It's like, when in doubt, start a podcast, right? (laughs) I think, I think in general, there's, especially here, there's sort of just a bewilderment by how American things are going. Yeah. Like Megan, Megan's invested in a super latte startup, for example, this week, which has sort of tickled everybody. And Prince Harry started to talk in this very odd Californian way about he had a, he did a speech for some, some launch of something on Zoom where he, he was saying, imagine if we were all, if we were all raindrops, right. which I can't remember. I couldn't imagine any member of the royal family saying that. Yeah, unless they were sort of like the madness of King George and, uh, you know, <laughs> had, had, had gone and gone around the, around the bend or something. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen the crown. I can, that, that would be a weird tonal shift. Yeah. If one of the characters came in and started sort of waxing lyrical about, you know, the universal, uh, if, if we all lived in a cloud, I don't know what he was talking about. I think yeah. it was climate change. It's hard to say. Stu, have you always been a Royal watcher? No, no, I'm, I'm like a, quite a, quite a staunch Republican in the, you know, I don't like the monarchy, not in a Republican, you're, you're Republican. For US listeners, Republican means someone who does not favor the monarchy. I would be okay if, if Britain was a republic. That's the best way of saying it. That's right. I always, I saw, I saw someone on a talk show say, a British person on a talk show say, well, obviously I'm a Republican. And there was just a chill 
you could just see the chill go across the screen where the, the studio audience went, oh, no. But yeah, no, I haven't, I kind of pay attention a bit in that, you know, the Queen is on money and stamps. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating. This year has been incredibly weird with, with Prince Andrew and Harry and Meghan. It's been a, it's been season four of The Crown part two, it feels like, in real life. It's not quite an Ennis Horribilis this year for, for, the, for the royals, right? But it's, it's an, Ennis, an Ennis Weirdest or something, maybe, right? That's the proper Latin for the time, an Ennis Weirdest. Um, yeah, it's it's nothing's burnt down. None of their castles have burnt down, so it's still it's better than the nineties. No one's got properly divorced, and also I, I think I think the Queen and Prince Philip are kind of they're pushing their sort of you know they're nearly a hundred, and I think they might be checked out a little bit now. And I think you know they can the kids and the grandkids can do whatever they want, and they can just run away to America or be accused of horrible sex things. And it's, I, I don't think they—I don't think they—they they care that much anymore. I wish who can blame me? I'm 40, and if my kids did that, I'd be like, oh, just get get on with it, do what you want. <laughs> so, Stu, tell us what's sort of the word on the street about Harry and Meghan? Does everyone care about them as much as we do in the UK? <laughs> Weirdly, yes. And there doesn't seem to be any middle ground. People are either very, 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 very firmly for them, or they dislike them intensely. I'd like to think I'm sort of in the spectrum, sort of in the middle. I can, I can people, you know, you want p- people to be happy in what they do. But at the same time, they're, they're so ridiculous. They're caught between two, the life they had and the life they want, and they're just stuck in the middle, and it's so sort of rich for silliness. What do they do? In the, in the, in the podcast trailer, it's not even a podcast they've got. It's just a three-minute trailer. And they say something like, you know, we've always been really interested in people's stories and talking to people and learning where they're from. And you sort of think, well, that's because you haven't had a job ever. And that's all you do. You go to places and you ask people where they're from and what they do because you've got nothing else to do. That's your job. Oh, it's going to be interesting probably in the next year or two, watching them figure out if they can, if they can leverage that sort of weird persona into the real world where, where you're expected to actually do things. What do you think they want, Stu? I think they do want to be the, the Obamas, basically. They want to, to have a media empire. They've got their, their big Netflix deal. They've got apparently this whatever the podcast thing is going to be. But the, the difference is, of course, that uh, the Obamas had, like, like, they had an earned position of power to, to work from, whereas Prince Harry was the kind of the spare one in his family who was immediately, as soon as his brother had children, his entire future just sort of disappeared. He was second line to the throne or third line to the throne. And then as soon as his brother had kids, he just just smashed to the back of the line and that's that's a weird that's a weird life to have but i don't know if it necessarily means you can you know start making documentaries because of it or the reality show which might be happening i'll watch that still of course you will i'll watch i'll watch one episode of it and then write mm-hmm. about it for money <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what Harry is thinking about life in Santa Barbara, you know, because I'm not sure you could get farther away from where he came from than that. No, it's weird, isn't it? I have a feeling he probably likes it. Of the two of them, I think he would most like sort of the anonymity of not being in the Royal Circus. So, I mean, the having, having a, a big house and a slightly more privacy, I'd imagine, in a country where people are much, much more famous than him. I think that must be quite freeing, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case for Meghan Markle. I think she might want to conquer the world somehow. None of this made sense to me because I felt like her goal was always to be a princess. Like, what's... what's? Yeah, 
more fairy tale than that. And then she gets it and decides she's too too good for it, too bad for it, doesn't want it. I don't really know. How, what do you make of her change of heart? Genuinely, I think the royal family might be horrible to be around. Or if not the family, then the whole organization around it where everything is very protocoled and you have to learn hierarchies and you can do this, but you can't do this. There were, there were two days of front pages in the newspapers because she closed her own car door once, which is bizarre. And I think that must, that must be very frustrating. Well, they wanted to still sort of maintain the royal trademark for their Sussex royal um, brand that got shot down by the Queen. I, d- I don't know if they're sort of, they're just rolling with the punches and, and trying to distance themselves, or they, they want to distance themselves. Or if, if they really do want a clean break, it's, it's very hard. To, you're right. It's really hard to sort of fathom what they want. I think that's what makes them interesting. Sue, you don't trust Cover the Royals, although we like to think of you as our expert. What's your take on Boris Johnson's popularity right now? And uh... Oh, yes. Yeah, no. Boris is just, I think, just universally hated now. There was a period of time where people would go nuts for him and there would be crowds in the street. There was one... When he was mayor of London, which is kind of a job, but not really a super, super important job. You have some powers, but you don't have a lot of powers. People sort of adored him because you, that's, that's a role that you can sort of see through with just the power of your persona. He's had such a bad year, so just with COVID and with having COVID. And Brexit is still not sorted out. And that's got two weeks before there's the full-on deadline, which might plunge the entire country into the worst peacetime crisis in its history. And he's, yeah, I, I, his reputation is really nil almost. He's taken very, very bad care of the country. I read today that he, he will probably, I don't know how reputable it is, but that he is very unlikely to be prime minister this time next year. He might just walk because of the stress of it all. So in the last four years, we've had general elections, at least maybe two, maybe three general elections, a Brexit vote. And it's like, I, I, just, I just want someone to make all my decisions for me there's real there's real sort of vote fatigue democracy fatigue Stu, maybe you're a monarchist after all maybe that's exactly i am basically just describing a monarchy aren't i i just want i just want a really rich family to come in live in a great big house and occasionally invade other countries and murder murder dissidents okay an important question about christmas actually now we're talking about this the other day you're, and it's, it's a question that only uh, someone in the uk can answer what is your culture's infatuation with ugly sweaters on Christmas. What do I need to understand about this? Because if you asked me to do that, I, would, I wouldn't I would even come out of my room. I don't understand this. Yeah, I don't fully understand it either. They are <laughs> truly horrific. My son's school just had a, a Christmas jumper day where we all had to go out and find the, just the most hideous kind of migraine-looking sweater that we could. Stu, can't wait till we hang out again in London. We're going to invite Michael this time, maybe. Well, give your... Um- Lovely wife and your two beautiful boys, a big hug from us. And we wish you all a wonderful holiday. Oh, thank you. Merry Christmas, Stu. And um, thank you for being on the show today. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, I hope. Lovely. Take care. What are your plans this year for the holiday? Let me think. Nothing, nothing, and nothing. Brooke and I will be here in the city trying to decide this weekend what we'll be cooking, just the two of us. Hopefully, you know, the weather will be nice and we can take a little walk. But I mean, it's... We're not traveling to Chicago to see any family, so we'll be here. Yeah. Yep, we're going to be here too, and, <laughs> and I'll be cooking and eating a lot of caramel corn and drinking a lot of mulled wine. Uh, thank God for 
seamless delivery. Have you noticed how there is a certain amount of travel shaming going on, which I find so fascinating. A lot of people are traveling this year. Like I don't judge. I I think, I mean, I kind of do, but like not about this. I feel like fundamentally it's such a difficult year and people are just trying to cling to their sanity. And if that means, you know, going in a car to New Jersey to see family and friends or, you know, flying somewhere to uh, be in a different spot for a few minutes. Like, I I think we all have to be gentle with one another. On the subject of travel. Yeah. There's a good, I hope everyone who listens reads George Kalajarakis' weekly airmail diary, which is, as we say, sort of curious news about these strange days we live in. And, And George does a fantastic job of pulling together News that you may have missed, but is is one of those. I can't believe this. I, I didn't. And no one told me more about this story. And he does a great range of pulling in scandal and strange facts. And this week he's he's got five or six stories that I'm sure will surprise you. Everything from Vladimir Putin's secret plane being vandalized to the French uh, army trying to sort of like basically create bionic. Tony Stark-like Iron Man fighting forces. But he's got, speaking of travel, he's and, and I don't know if this is shaming, but a travel detail that these researchers in Sweden recently found that frequent flyers would basically account for 1% of the world's population, likely account for more than 50% of the total emissions from passenger air travel. Oh God, here we are with the depressing news again. It's not depressing. It's just, it's, it's, it's an important fact around the planet. And it's just, but like, it's, it's, that's astounding to me that 1% of the, of the flyers account for 50% of the global emissions. So I think, look, we're all talking about this year being some sort of reset and getting a different perspective on priorities and what's important. And yes, we want to travel, but I think, you know, it's uh, maybe it's also about doing less. Uh-huh. I was talking to my friend. My friend Lydia was over yesterday and she's, again, one of the most optimistic people I know. You know, she just she wrote a book called The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. And she's a motivational speaker and all these great things. And we were talking about the summer and she said, I think, you know, we should just take the kids to Europe, spend, you know, a month driving around in the car and going and seeing all these great places, you know. So that could be another way to do it, too. That's a little bit more environmentally responsible, right? Instead of taking tons of small trips, take like a big trip and stay for a while. Exactly. Just settle in, you know, and get get over this sort of like just jetting around everywhere. And, you know, I've got to go here for a 40th birthday and there for a weekend. And, you know, it's just sort of like concentrate, you know, uh, the, 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 the expenditures, right? Absolutely. Would you like me to read us out? Uh, Sure, go ahead. Please do. But don't sound so enthusiastic. (laughs) Morning Meeting is brought to you this week by HBO Max. Now you can stream Let Them All Talk, the new HBO Max original movie from Steven Soderbergh that stars three legendary actresses, Meryl Streep, Candace Bergen, and Diane Wiest. Let Them All Talk, streaming now on HBO Max. Don't miss it. Towards the week before Christmas, and Morning Meeting is produced by Airmail Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alessandra Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris Garrett. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Speaking of music, our theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet. 
A new edition of Airmail is produced every Saturday, so please do subscribe and enjoy all our stories on airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We will be back here next Saturday, the day after Christmas, with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure and subscribe at Apple Music or Spotify. But most of all, thank you for listening and enjoy some eggnog.